Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here going solo today. And I was thinking about what to do for this episode. And it was a little hard to think of because the Knicks are in such a weird place right now. And you know what? That weird place inspired me. Today, I'm going to be talking about what are your jumping off points for various people on the Knicks, Tibbs, Julius Randle, and the veterans on the team, considering this strange state that we find the team in with their inconsistent play. That's coming up right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks a part of your daily routine, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. Very much appreciate you always tuning in and listening. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. And I am getting into an episode that I didn't think would necessarily be a topic. Uh, this early in the season, based off how things went in the preseason, based off how the early part of the season was going. But the Knicks have not looked good recently. Uh, there's no denying that. You know, I think they started off the season really strong. And lately it's been just inconsistent play. And a lot of the good moments, for example, Julius Randle's eight threes the other day against Minnesota kind of feel like fool's gold in the sense that it's like, okay, well, the team won this game, but thanks to what? Thanks to Julius Randle having basically a career night from three. Thanks to, you know, the Timberwolves, like forgetting to play basketball for part of the, the game, you know. And they've been looking increasingly more like the game against the Nets the other night, like the game against the Celtics where they gave up uh, a Celtics team record, 27 threes, all this stuff. Things are not looking great for the Knicks right now, which is a common theme over the last two years and pretty much every year, but the 2021 season uh, for the last, I don't know, decade, like the team that we always go back to is the 12, 13 team, you know, so ever since that team and even that team almost seemed like a bit of a flash in the pan. So it led me to think about what are the jumping off points for certain people? And what I would define a jumping off point as being is when are you ready to just kind of, fire certain people whether it's my first person when are you ready to trade someone even if they're having a, you know seemingly a better year than they've had recently but it's not affecting team success you know where is your point that you say as these Knicks this is do the thing that the Knicks never do which is say this is a generational draft year and we need to do everything that we can to ensure that maybe we can finally hit on this difference-making player that we've needed for forever if we just suck it up and don't do well this year. Now, they did this sort of unintentionally in the R.J. Barrett year 
although they did, you know, there was some, there was definitely some uh, uh, purpose and, and intention behind their tanking that year. It also helped that David Fisdale was just not a good coach. Uh, there was, to some degree, they did it the Porzingis year, although that happened accidentally. So really, I would say that the Knicks have only ever really intentionally thrown in the towel one time. And that was that 2019 draft when Zion was the top prize. Obviously, John Morant became a top prize as the year went on. And then R.J. Barrett, you know, was considered a pretty darn good. I mean, I still think R.J. is good. I, I think that, you know, he still has room to improve and everything else. He's still so young, but like he was considered a pretty darn good, you know, third pick there and, and you know, consolation prize, so to speak. This year seems even deeper. You have Weminyama, Scoot Henderson, you know, all these guys at the top of the draft, the, you know, the Thompson twins and overtime and uh, a bunch of guys, you know, playing for colleges as well that you know, it seems like the top 10 or so in this draft is pretty well stacked. Uh, the Knicks, as they currently stand, if I was a betting man, well, you know what? Let's just get right into it. I'm going to talk about Tibbs first. And so, Tibbs, it's been tough this year because I think that Tibbs has shown some growth in some areas. He went to, or he has been going to Julius Randle and Obi Toppin for minutes at a time, though it's tough to take too much from that considering you know, we're in a world where Mitchell Robinson is hurt, where Jericho Sims has had a hard time staying on the floor when getting minutes. So there's kind of been like no other option in some of these games. So it's, again, you want to talk about fool's gold. That kind of feels like fool's gold lately. You know, Tibbs is also, he did make a decision to bench Fournier early, earlier, which uh, then he has in the past, which I'll get to in a second. But, you know, there's been some progress. But ultimately, I look at the Knicks, and here's just a few numbers that I pulled that I thought were interesting this year and sort of go against this idea that like, well, Tibbs is, Tibbs is going to give the team a high enough floor that they could still be kind of good. Uh, I just don't think that's the case. And I think that at this point, you want to just prioritize getting someone in there who can develop the younger guys on the team. The Knicks are 19th in defensive rating right now in the league at 111.8, which is not great. They've traditionally been much higher in that metric under tips uh usually top 10 uh they are currently 23rd in offensive rating at 109.1 that gives them an overall 22nd rank in net rating at a minus 2.7 so they're 22nd in the league aka the ninth eighth ninth uh worst team in the league in terms of net rating their starting lineup or at least their opening season starting lineup, but Brunson, Fournier, RJ, Randall, and Mitch has the worst net rating of a five-man unit to play at least 100 minutes together this year, uh, It, which sounds familiar. <laughs> uh, it's like a minus nine, but they're also the ninth worst if you reduce the filter to 50 minutes played together so far this year, which is, I, I think, at this stage of the year, pretty decent measure. Like if you've played 50 minutes together to this point as a five-man unit, I think that's pretty solid. But that said, the original bench unit isn't that far behind either. So Derek Rose, Emmanuel Quickly, Cam Reddish, Obi Toppin, Isaiah Hartenstein, for as good as they look, sometimes they also are the 16th worst unit in that rating to play at least 50 minutes together right now in the league. And so the Knicks have their starters are top 10. Their bench is top 16 
as far as worst net rating units in the league right now. Again, to Tibbs' credit, he has tried some different lineups. He benched Evan Fournier. He's been bringing him off the bench now. He has had Derrick Rose in varying roles. He started Quentin Grimes. He's been experimenting with starting Cam Reddish now. But the results still seem to be getting much better. And so that starts to beg the question of like last year and the year prior, a lot of what frustrated Knicks fans was that you were looking and saying, okay, clearly Tibbs has something here as far as the team. He clearly has a lineup that works. He clearly has, you know, he, he has some of these players doing something that's very conducive to winning, which was illustrated by like last year, the starters, the Kemba, uh, Fournier, RJ, Randall, and uh, Mitch group was one of the worst, actually the worst high, high minute unit in the league, playing the most minutes in the league. They were the worst in that rating. Meanwhile, they had their bench unit, which was an overwhelming positive, And it kept people saying, you know, why not make a change here? This year, Tibbs has made the changes, but both units aren't doing well. And so at that point, what's holding you back at this point from saying, Tibbs just isn't doing a good job as a coach overall this year. If he's not doing good at mixing and matching the players, even though he's actually attempting it for once, and if those units aren't producing positive results, then it starts to come across as an indictment on him. And I think that we've seen from the way that the Knicks have been coached on defense with playing drop coverage against all odds, having no backup plans for, you know, if teams start throwing lots of perimeter screens against them, which can dislodge their defender and then all of a sudden you have someone playing drop and a guy getting a wide open three. The Knicks have had no answer for that. They have no time in any game where they ever say, let's switch to a switch everything scheme. Let's do this. Let's do some sort of wrinkle. On offense, we've seen for years now that the second that the Knicks get anything other than a man arrangement, like anytime the other team makes that adjustment, the Tibbs doesn't do on defense and say goes to a zone. Or, you know, goes to switch everything instead of, you know, playing drop or goes to drop instead of switch everything. The Knicks never seem to have an adjustment. And this is not an exclusive thing to the starters or the bench or a certain player or whatever. There just doesn't ever seem to be an adjustment from the Knicks unless someone gets super hot, like a Julius Randle or something the other day. Then the Knicks sometimes are able to beat and, you know, an, an interesting exotic coverage from another team. But other than that, they don't seem to have many schematic plans to out-scheme the opposing defense with their offense. And so uh, that has all led to, so Clean the Glass has some metrics that, you know, based off of uh, certain ratings and um, uh, efficiency differential, they call it, you know, where there's, there's measures that they take that kind of give you an idea of what the expected wins for a team would be versus what they actually have been, because obviously the league is fluky and you know things don't always work out exactly how they're supposed to. The Knicks right now are expected to be a 34-win team based off cleaning the glass, just based off their performance so far this year. If that's the case, and that's what Tibbs is doing with Jalen Brunson, then that if that would be their ultimate fate to become a 34-win team, that represents a huge step back of a few wins with a much better player inserted in the position of need for the team. I I don't see where this ends well for the Knicks. You know, I, I don't understand the desire to hold on to Tibbs at this point. 
because it seems like he's not going to change. The Tiger's not going to change his stripes. He likes his stripes just how they are. He doesn't want to be a Jaguar. He doesn't want to be a Leopard. You know, he doesn't want to be a Cheetah. He wants to be a Tiger. And that's it. Uh, and it's not working. So I, I think if it were me, you know, if I'm asking the question for each of these, for each of these, you know, people that I'm bringing up during this show, what's my jumping off point as far as Tibbs is concerned? I think it's basically right now. I, I don't really see a reason to continue this any further. Uh, I've talked on previous shows about, Oh, do you want it to be like, like I think 20 games is usually a pretty good measure. Like if there's one good thing that Tibbs has always said, and that even Fizdale used to say, it's like 20 games is a pretty good measure for, okay, now you can start seeing trends that are going to stick for like your whole season potentially, because that's a quarter way through, you know, it, you've had plenty of time to establish things, whatever that said with Tibbs, we have two other seasons to draw on as well. Things to me seem to be getting worse rather than getting better. You know, you would hope to see some improvement. You would hope that with a point guard like Brunson, who does all the things that Tibbs loves, that things would be getting better, not worse right now. And instead, his he seems to still have this desire to play certain players like a Fournier that are not really contributing much of anything right now. He seems to have a desire to still play Rose for 15 minutes, even if he's not playing well. Seems to have this desire to, you know, still play Randall, even if he's, you know, I think Randall's been having overall offensively a much better season this year, but which I'll talk about in a second, but has started to slip into his defensive lapses again. So if I'm talking about jumping off points for Tibbs, I think it's right now. I think you make the move right now, install Johnny Bryant or whomever off your bench as head coach. I think it would be Johnny Bryant. Give him some time to try it out and see how it goes and, you know, do that. And, Hopefully that works, uh, but I don't think that it could get too much worse than where it is right now. Uh, but I gotta, I want to get into Randall in just a second, who I just brought up, and I will do that in just a second. But first, I just got to let you guys know that today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available, and that's why... You have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. So I can't speak to this much from the perspective of a hirer, but as someone who has been searching for jobs in the past and kind of always tries to keep his options open, I find LinkedIn always give me the best options. They consistently put jobs in front of me that I wouldn't have thought to seek out otherwise, that then I look at and I say, wow, I think this is really a perfect fit for my skills. So if you're looking to hire people for your business, stands to reason, I think it's the best place personally, from my experiences, to put your job if you wanted to get in front of the right people. Uh, all you have to do, you add your job to LinkedIn and add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile and you can spread the word that you're hiring. They have simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire and, you know, it's getting towards the end of the year now. We got just under two months left in 2022. I'm sure you want to close the year out strong if you have a small business. And LinkedIn can potentially help you do that. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash locked on MBA. That's LinkedIn.com slash locked on MBA. 
to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, and I'm back to Locked On Knicks, talking about jumping off points for various players. The coach I covered in the first segment. Now, the biggest lightning rod of a player on the Knicks I'm going to get into, which is Julius Randle. I know a lot of people have differing opinions about Julius Randle. I will preface this by saying I think he's had a much better season this year so far than last year for sure. I don't know if I'll put it on the level of his 2021 season, which was just like out of this world. But I mean, this is probably his second best season in a Knicks uniform, maybe his third best season of his career thus far. You know, I think I would probably count his Pelican season that earned him the first contract from the Knicks as a little better than this current one. But that's not a huge knock because I thought he played great that year. I, I really think that he has a lot to offer to any given team. I think that he just needs to be in the right environment. I don't think the Knicks are that environment right now. And I think that Tibbs is part of it because of how Tibbs coaches Randall, uh, which we saw, you know, dating back to last year, but has carried over into this year as far as like being more okay with Randall's defensive deficiencies than maybe he should be. Uh, But uh, let me just get into a couple, couple stats with Randall as well. So just in in terms of basic counting stats, he's at 33 and a half minutes per game. Uh, he's averaging 20 and a half points, 9.1 rebounds, 3.3 assists. Shooting splits are quite good, like 45.7% from the field, 35.5% from three, uh, 73.6% from the line. I think you'll take that pretty much every day from him. I mean, that's that's good numbers for him. You know, he, he's really jacked that three-point percentage up in the last couple games with how well he shot against the Nets and the Timberwolves. But even so... You know, it's we're still we're to the point now where it's we've been through a four uh, sorry an eighth of the season. So I mean, if that number can hold up through the twenty game mark, like I was saying with the twenty games thing, like it's starting to become a trend that okay, yeah, he's gonna have his hot and his cold times like every player, but if he can even it out and shoot about thirty five percent, I think that's great for him thirty five thirty six percent. The only problem is is per Basketball Reference, he's currently at a uh, minus eleven point nine on off right now, meaning between the cumulative nature of how much uh, how much lower the team does with him on the floor compared to how much better they do with him off the floor, it results in a net of the team being 11.9 points worse when he's on the floor than off the floor at the moment. Now, part of that could be attributed to the the overall futility of that starting lineup, which is not all on Randall. You know, there's been a lot of issues with perimeter defense and, uh, you know, with the drop coverage, as I mentioned, but Randall certainly has not been like an angel as far as all that's concerned so far this year. Uh, Many have been on, on Twitter in recent days doing some like film studies on this. I know our buddy who was just on recently, Benji Ritholtz put something out about this uh, that, you know, he's, getting lazy on defense again, you know, as far as closing out on shooters and chasing guys around and whatever, he has some, some good moments. Like I thought when I was watching that Nets game the other day, I was, I was in a bar setting with some friends. So I was, you know, keeping up with it as best as I could. But when I, you know, when I was focused and locked in, I did notice some good defensive possessions on like Kevin Durant, for example, where Durant just made the shot, but it was like, what more do you expect? I think it was like a good, uh, 
uh, you know, close out good, you know, defense and whatever as, as much as he could do. Um, but like all in all, he's, he's kind of falling into some bad habits as far as sticking with his man, help, you know, help defense, especially he's never been one of his strong suits. Um, you know, all that stuff. So I, I don't know, I like shooting numbers wise. It's, it's weird because this is, I think he's, he's having his second best season in a Knicks uniform, you know, it just makes me think, does that not kind of like behoove the Knicks with, with what I mentioned in the, in the, the previous segment about Tibbs and the fact that, you know, no matter what, like no matter what positives there are with this team right now, they're trending towards if things go the way that some like projections would have it as far as their scoring differentials and everything, it, they're trending towards being a worse team than last year, potentially. If that comes to pass, and that's what the Knicks' ultimate fate is, but Randall is having a better shooting season and a better number season that could potentially entice some team to want him, doesn't it sort of behoove the Knicks to like make that move now? And, and you know, I, I think if you were just asking me, like, hey, would you want to keep Julius Randall based off how he's playing right now, period, I'd probably be like, yeah, I think so. But not everything just happens in terms of, like, do you want this guy on your team or not? You know, it's it it's also like, well, what is this guy worth right now versus what he could be worth later? Is this guy going to be contributing to the next really good team that you're going to put on the floor? Is he going to be, you know, a big part of your future? Or is he going to live out this deal and then pretty much be done? There's no way to know those things. You know, it's and, and that's sort of like the problem, like. I, I'm inclined to say that, no, I don't think that Randall is part of the future. I think I think the Knicks would be better served to shop him now. And maybe they're already starting to. Uh, I think that there's some teams in the league that kind of make sense to look at for him. Like Phoenix, I think. You know, they're a team that's very good that probably wants, like, one more piece to try to make a run so they can avoid, like, a potential situation like last year where they flame out in the playoffs. You know, having one more guy like a Randall who – for all his imperfections is a pretty good shot generator, uh, both for himself and at his best for others, I think would work out really well for Phoenix where they could create easier opportunities for him, give him two players in Chris Paul and Devin Booker that he really respects to, you know, feed him the ball and to sort of dictate the pace on offense. We've sort of seen that with Brunson a bit this year where he's a little more willing to defer. If he has a player out there that he thinks should be handling the offense, Phoenix has two of those guys. We've talked about the Lakers before. They've got to be in desperation mode at this point. They're two and nine. You know, the, there's talk they might want to trade Anthony Davis, which would probably be their blow it up move. But if they go the other direction and want to try to get someone in there to be like, all right, let's see if we can salvage this in a weaker West, you know, try to at least sneak into the playoffs. Maybe Randall's that guy there. Maybe the Warriors. I mean, the Warriors find themselves struggling to start this year. Randall, in theory, fits their profile really well. They play a lot of switchy defense. Randall does his best when he's allowed to stick to a man. They love guys with his profile of being able to, you know, a big that can pass and can shoot in theory, you know, as long as his three point shot sticks around at around 35% and, you know, who can generally like play small, which Randall, I think has shown in the minutes with Obi that he can, he can play small and he can do that and play in a warrior style team if need be. So, you know, there are teams out there that I think would make sense as suitors. And as a result, like if we're talking about jumping off points for Randall, 
no matter how good he is, if the Knicks as a team are not going to improve, which maybe the order of operations here is Tibbs gone first, see if the team drastically improves, looks like they're going to make the playoffs or something. That new coach bump is very real. So maybe you bring in Johnny Bryant, players go super hard for him and, you know, they make a playoff push, you know, like the D'Antoni for Woodson effect kind of thing. Cool. That would be great if that happens. But if that doesn't happen and the Knicks are still trending towards being like a low 30s win team, then I think you look to move Randall. Now, that might be trade deadline. That might be uh, December 15th. You know, that's like a, if you get to a month away, let's say you fire Tibbs at the 20 game mark, go two, three more weeks and still feel, OK, things aren't getting better. Let's just ship out anyone who's not nailed to the floor and and really just lean into trying to get someone in this draft. I think that could be a fine time to do it. I think at the latest, though, you know, if you're not looking like a surefire playoff team by the trade deadline, I don't think you can keep Randall. I think that's my jumping off point for Randall is if you get rid of Tibbs and things still aren't looking good, get rid of him ASAP. If, you know, if things are kind of middling for a bit with a new coach, see how it plays out. Give the new coach a little bit of time, but otherwise... If you're not looking like a playoff team, wait till the deadline and then try to move Randall then when some team might get desperate and want that shot in the arm to kind of help them out. And then finally, you know, if you get a new coach and they stage a huge turnaround, I'm, I would assume that Randall would be a big part of that, in which case hold on to him. But he's another one of those guys where it's just like if the team's not going to do well, but he is playing well, your best move is to trade him at that point. And that, you know, some people like Randall want to root for him, whatever, but that's the business side of basketball is you have to think about things, not just for this year, but two, three, four years down the line. And that might be where that decision comes from. Uh, I want to talk about the other guys, the other vets on the team in just a second. So I am going to get into Evan Fournier, Derek Rose, and even Isaiah Hartenstein, because I don't think that he should be necessarily untouchable either. If some team comes calling at a certain point in the season, so I'll get into that in just a sec on Locked on Knicks. All right, and I'm back. Finishing talking about jumping off points for the Knicks this year. And the last one includes the Vets. And I think these are some names that we're going to hear come up a lot. Uh, Evan Fournier and Derek Rose I'll start with here. Evan Fournier, so the story's well known at this point. Starts the season as the starting shooting guard, I foolishly said that he would do enough as the starting shooting guard during our bold predictions to uh, play the entire season as the starter, even if Quentin Grimes was playing a little better. As it turns out, he got the Kemba Walker treatment this year and got benched pretty early uh, and has seen his minutes go down. But even off the bench, he's still continuing to soak up about 15 to 18 minutes per game. Derek Rose is also coming off the bench and getting about 10 to 15 minutes per game. And there was some quotes that came out yesterday that make it seem like he's kind of indifferent about it, or maybe even a little mad about it. I, it was tough to get a read, but so Stefan Bondi of, of the daily news had transcribed this on Twitter. Uh, Rose said, I'm letting everybody, everybody be man. The last guy he wants to, he meaning Tibbs, Last guy he wants to hear from is the guy who's been in the league for 15 years going in and complaining and bitching, just trying to give everyone the space. And then also said something about being in the unknown right now. 
so it doesn't sound like a guy who's particularly happy with where he's at right now, but also doesn't want to cause a big fuss because he's a vet. Uh, you know, I know that Rose loves playing for Tibbs, but he probably feels like he has quite a bit left in the tank. He's certainly shown in spurts this year that he does. Like he's had those games where he scores 15 points in like 12 minutes. And you go, wow, this guy's automatic right now. But then he's had other games recently where he shot like one of 10 and has not looked very good uh, and looks like he's maybe lost a little pep in his step. I, I certainly think that his game, his, his explosiveness seems a little down this year, which has made his around the rim game worse. But his shooting looks probably better than ever. I think he's at 35% right now, but I think that's been dragged down by a couple of really bad shooting games. I think it, it's very realistic that he ends up shooting like 40% from three this year because most of the time it looks very clean and he's not short rimming everything like he has the last couple of games. Normally he's like spot on and the form looks great. He's clearly got down uh catch and shoot really well at this point and also has kind of made that like, like walking down the floor, pull up three into one of his staples at this point. Uh, so I, I would not be surprised if Rose ends up shooting about 40%. And I think he's still definitely got something to offer. That said, Emmanuel quickly is on the team who the team should in theory be trying to give as much time to this year as they can. Even if, you know, I know a lot of people are being critical of the fact that he's not shooting well this year, but he's still in theory, part of this team's future and a guy that they need to make a decision on next year, this next summer about whether they want to keep him long-term or not and give him an extension. They have to do the same thing with Obi Toppin. I would argue so far this year, they're doing a much better job by Obi Toppin in evaluating him and figuring out if he could be a player of the future versus Emmanuel quickly at this stage. I don't think quickly has been getting quite the opportunity that he has. And the reason for that is because he's been shooting poorly, but we've seen plenty of games where Fournier is shooting super poorly where Rose is shooting super poorly and quickly is shooting super poorly. But the only difference is that quickly offers so much more on the defensive end than those guys. And yet doesn't seem to be getting rewarded for that in turn. Uh, so quickly in, in his 20 minutes per game right now, I'll go to the same stat that I used from basketball reference for Julius Randall. The Knicks currently in net on off rating for Emmanuel quickly are plus 9.6 points better with him on the floor than off. And you also have to consider too, when we're talking about making room on this team, potentially trimming the fat and creating minutes for these younger guys for better or worse. Like that's what you have to do when you have a team full of young guys and the Knicks don't do this. They always try to go, you know, back and forth and back and forth. They don't, they don't go one way or another and say, we're going to commit to youth or we're going to commit to vets. They try to kind of have their cake and eat it too. And that's always been the problem. It, if you have a Grimes coming back, you want to start getting minutes out of him too, because his evaluation window is only so large as well. You know, you have this season and next before you have to decide what to pay him. It, apparently his foot injury flared up in Philly. Uh, we got that news today, but he doesn't have plantar fasciitis we're told and it's on the men. So when he's ready to go again, presumably you want him getting 20 plus minutes as well. Evan Fournier and Derek Rose are the two guys that most directly stand in the way of those two younger guys being able to get the minutes that they'll need to develop because we've seen Cam Reddish now step up. And even when he's not shooting well, he's offering something on the defensive end. That's intriguing enough. That makes you say he should probably getting, be getting some minutes regardless of how he shoots as well. 
and he's sort of the direct backup for RJ Barrett. So now you're at this point where it's like, all right, well, if you're going to have, you know, let's say Grimes comes back and he does start, but then you have Fournier still wanting to get 15 to 18 minutes and you still have quickly that needs to get, you know, with Derrick Rose in place at point guard as the backup point guard, so to speak, you still need to get Emmanuel quickly some minutes at that two spot as well. And then if most of the backup three minutes behind RJ Barrett are going to be taken up by Cam Reddish, you're in between a rock and a hard place here where you have two guys, two veterans in the backcourt that are really taking up minutes that should be going to the younger guys. Because again, for better or worse, you want to evaluate them. If, if you decide that's the direction you want to go, and this all goes back to what are you playing the vets for if the team is on a 34-win pace, you know, based off the numbers. Even if they're on a 30, whatever they got last year, 37 wins, if you're throwing a 37-win pace, that's not an acceptable solution this year. You don't want to be in that mediocrity zone this year where you're not good enough to do anything or even make the play in, but you're also not bad enough to have anything close to a, a good shot at getting a, a high draft pick. Like you need to pick a lane and the Knicks never pick a lane. They just kind of ride the center line and they're that jerk that everybody honks at, or at least we do as fans. They need to pick, you know, either the youth development lane for better or worse or say oh well <laughs> the other lane is you put together a team that's actually good enough to do something but they haven't done that yet so to me there's kind of only one option at this point and that's lean into that youth development lane you obviously yeah brunson locked in who's great and he's still not super old you have mitch who's locked in who i still think is good you have rj who's very young still you know you're gonna probably lock in quickly and top in next year on extensions so you've got this like decent core, but you need to find someone who's going to be a, a a game breaker. You know what I mean? Like there has to be someone that's going to be so good that they're going to elevate your team. Um, and that person just is not on the team yet. It's going to become increasingly hard to get that person through free agency. The more contracts you hand out to your younger players. So the best way to do that is to just suck it up and tank one year, try to get a guy like a Victor Wembanyama or a Scoot Henderson or, whoever you may love in the draft and say, you know what? This is the guy. This is the guy that will finally be our Luka Doncic, our Jason Tatum, our Giannis. You know, you look at almost every team in the league, the best player that they have on their team is a guy that they drafted. And the Knicks have never had that opportunity because they never allow themselves to have that opportunity. Anyway, it's turning into more of a rant on that to get back to Rose and Fournier, like Rose, I think similar to Randall, it's, I think he's an easy sell to a playoff team right now. Like he's been intermittently brilliant, you know, even though he's struggling in his last few games, but like he clearly still has something to offer to a team that wants to win off the bench. But being on a team like the Knicks that is mostly younger players and isn't playing like a playoff team right now is not the best place to have a Derrick Rose because he doesn't have a future on the team in terms of the next few years. So, you know, obviously he's not going to like, He's he's not going to be a a pillar of the team going forward. So why not try to ship him off and get some value while you can? Fournier, meanwhile, like, I mean, so if we're looking at that on-off number, he, the team is 12.5 points worse with him on the floor than off, uh, which is bad. It's the worst play. It's the worst number of any player that's gotten consistent minutes this year. I think Jericho Sims's number is actually a little lower, but I won't consider what he's had so far consistent minutes like. He's been in foul trouble and everything else in these couple opportunities at starting. 
But other than Sims, Fournier is the worst player that's gotten consistent minutes on the team this year in terms of net on-off rating. But I still think with him, too, you can make a sell that on a bench roll, in a bench roll on a playoff team, they could probably utilize his shooting. And a coach other than Tibbs could probably take advantage of his creation ability and stuff like that more than Tibbs does, which would hopefully negate his defensive abilities or lack thereof. So there might be some team out there that even if you could just move off Fournier just to take back like an expiring contract or something, there could be some team out there that would be willing to do that and maybe even throw you like a protected second round pick or something, especially if the contract isn't an expiring, you know, the Knicks I think are in a position now where they're not really in position to be a cap space team for a couple of years anyway. Because of, you know, handing RJ's new extension, obviously, if you trade Randall, maybe that changes that a little bit. But, you know, Brunson on his, you know, deal now and Mitch on his deal, Hartenstein's locked in for a couple years. You know, you have these looming extensions with some of the rookie or, you know, the rookie deal guys. So you're in a position where, uh, you know, you could probably take on a multi-year contract, even if it meant getting a pick or two back, you know, a couple seconds for Evan or something. Um, and then that, that brings me the last guy is Isaiah Hartenstein. And, you know, I, I think that he's an interesting case. He's not really old. He's on a very good contract. I think for his production, he's one of the highest guys on the team as far as on off numbers go. And, you know, his impact statistics and things like that for what he's done so far this year, he obviously brings a great new wrinkle to the team. I've all in all liked his play this year, but if the right deal comes along after December 15th, when the Knicks can trade him, why? not at least take those phone calls too. And so that's where with him, I think I would make my jumping off point a little further to say like, all right, well, let's see, you know, if you get a new coach and you lean into the youth movement, whatever, and things actually start improving and, oh, suddenly like unburdened a little bit, this team unburdened of Tibbs, unburdened of minutes, uh, distribution, follies and whatever, all of a sudden this team can kind of like figure things out a little more. Um, you know, then maybe you hold on to him. But similar to Randall, I, I would kind of say with him, like if you hit the trade deadline and the team's really not doing well, well, I don't know why you wouldn't at least entertain trade offers because I think that he has a useful enough skill set, clearly makes an impact. And teams are almost always around that time of year looking for a big man. There's always like one team that like had their main big go down or whatever the case and need somebody to fill in at, you know, a, a much more plug and play position than most in the NBA at the center spot. And Hartenstein might have a market then, in which case I think the Knicks should entertain it, you know? So if we're talking about jumping off points for these guys, Derek Rose and Evan Fournier, much I hate to say it, like ASAP. <laughs> and Hartenstein, you know, potentially the deadline if things aren't looking good for the Knicks. And, and I think that hopefully Leon Rose and the Knicks front office have these sort of things in their mind too, but, I really hope these are things that they're considering because I, I do think there's a real case to be made that the Knicks should be sellers this year. Finally, they've never truly been a seller in a really long time. I can't remember the last time that I would ever have considered them to be like sellers, but this might be the year to do it because they clearly have some talent on this team, but it's not being utilized properly by the coach. It's not, you know, things are not gelling the way that they should. And they're not showing any improvement from last year. And last year was universally considered to be a pretty big failure. So 
you know, given the the resources and stuff that have been devoted to this team, I think it's about time that you, th these things start being considered. Uh, but I'm curious what your guys' jumping off points are. So if you're listening to this on like or watching this on YouTube, feel free to like drop it in the in the comments, like what your jumping off points are, uh, or like tweet at us or whatever, like at Locked On Knicks if you want. But uh, yeah, it this has just been like on my mind. I, I couldn't really think about what to talk about today. And then this kind of just came to me. Like, I think the reason that this team is hard to talk about right now is because it just feels like they're so in limbo. There's nothing really to get excited about. There's nothing to get overly mad about because they've still been like largely average for the most part this year. Like they're hovering around 500, but it just seems like they're alternating between like pretty good games and just absolute gross blowouts right now. Um, so we'll see how it all goes for the next going forward. But thank you all for listening. I have a game recap coming tomorrow as well. Till next time, though, thank you for listening to Locked on Knicks, and I'll talk to you all soon. Peace out.